Welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. The following interview is designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be. Your host, Derek Champagne, is the founder and CEO of The Artist Evolution, a full-service agency building successful brands, marketing tools, and campaigns, and also the author of the best-selling book, Don't Buy a Duck. And now, let's begin today's Leadership Series interview. Welcome to the Business Leadership Series, where our goal is to inspire you to become the best leader that you can be. Whitney Johnson is our guest today. She's an innovation and disruption theorist, keynote speaker, best-selling author, great books, executive and performance coach. She's got an impressive resume. I'm going to read just a little bit of it because I want to make sure we have time to talk with her today. Uh, she's named one of the world's 50 most influential management thinkers by Thinkers 50. She's the author of the best-selling book, Build an A-Team, Harvard Business Press, uh, Financial Times and CEO Read Book of the Month and the critically acclaimed Disrupt Yourself, Putting the Power of Disruptive Innovation to Work. She also, through writing, speaking, consulting, and coaching, works with the top leaders to retain their top talent, to build an A-team, and to help them earn the gold star, be a boss people love. She's a, also a former award-winning Wall Street analyst, a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review, a LinkedIn influencer. She has uh, LinkedIn top voices, uh, over 1.5 million followers, uh, original cohort of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 coaches, top 100 coaches, co-founder of the 40 over 40 list, recognizing women who are reinventing, disrupting, and making an impact. Whitney, there's more, but I, I want to take time to talk to you today. So welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Derek, for having me. Do you ever listen to your bio and you're like, is that really me? Like you just, <laughs> you're, you're surprised that it's, it, it sort of describes you. It's almost like this out of body experience. But anyway, thank you for that lovely um, introduction. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Well, there's so much more you've helped you've as a co-founder disruptive innovation fund with uh, Harvard's Clayton Christensen. You've, you've uh, invested and led $8 million seed rounds that have, that have led to over five billion dollar valuations. I mean, so much more. So you know what you're talking about. You're a world-class leader. Uh, I want to do this if we can. For those that don't know you, if you don't mind, uh, take us back a little bit and just give us a quick overview about who you are. And you can start as far back as you want. We, we, are, we love our listeners to learn about who we're talking to. Yeah, absolutely. So probably relevant to this conversation, um, the, the most helpful would be is that I studied music in college hmm. and uh, played piano had no real sense of what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I think sometimes that's helpful to know because we think that there's this wonderkind, you know, everybody around us is a wonderkind who knows exactly what they want to do. And, I, and I'm one of those people that didn't study music in college, graduate, go to New York with my husband because he's getting his PhD. So I wasn't planning on going to New York. Like that wasn't my plan. Um, and people would say to me, well, are you going to do music? And I was like, no, I actually don't want to do music. Like I did it, but then I'm done. And so I arrive in New York. I'm now 27 years old because I took a long time to graduate from college <laughs> and my husband's getting his PhD and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? I know we need to eat. So making money is a requirement here. And I just start looking for jobs. And because this is the late 80s, early 90s, it was super exciting because this was the era of this was the Wall Street era, right? Mm, the life right. and bonfire, the vanities and working girl. And so I basically decide that I'm going to work on Wall Street, but had to start as a secretary because, you know, music major, female, right? No right. connection. 
So I start out as a secretary for a stockbroker. Um, but as I started really looking around and thinking, okay, you know, I'm going to be doing this for a while, at least five years. My husband's PhD is going to take that long. Um, why am I going to make X when 10X is a possibility? I'm just as smart as the people who are across the desk from me who happen to all be men. And I had had this experience where they would, you know, try to be opening the accounts and they would say things to the prospects of like, throw down your pom-poms and get in the game. And hmm. I'm hearing that over and over and over again. And initially I'm a little bit offended because I'm a cheerleader or I was a cheerleader in high school, but I'm hearing that again and again. I finally realized, you know what? I need to throw down my pom-poms and get in the game. Like, <laughs> And so I start taking business courses at night. I take accounting, finance, economics, and I have a boss who gives me a break. And I'm able to move from secretary to investment banker. And for any of your listeners who know anything about financial services, that is a divide that does not get crossed. Right. But I was able to cross it, again, in large part due to a very generous boss. Um, shout out to Caesar Baez was his name. Hmm. And so I go into banking, I do that for several years, and um, four or five years, then there's a shakeup because that happens on Wall Street and my boss gets fired and I get moved from banking to equity research, really more of a shove is what I would call it. Um, but it turns out it was a career maker. Um, this disruption that took place was a career maker because I was a really good stock picker, really good at momentum, figuring that out. And I did that for six, actually about eight years, was institutional investor ranked analyst. But then get to that top of my learning curve or the top of the ladder and I realize it's time for do something new and I go to my boss and say hey I want to you know try something new and he's like no we like you right where you are and at this point I've now read the innovators dilemma by Clayton Christensen this idea that a silly little thing can take over the world but sometimes you have to become that silly little thing and in my case that meant I needed to disrupt myself leave Wall Street become an entrepreneur so I did I walked away from a really big job with no major plan but it was time for me to do something new and I then connected with Clayton Christensen in Boston, and when he was ready to start a fund, the Disruptive Innovation Fund, I co-founded that fund with him. Did that for about five or six years, and continued to have this idea of disruption. It's not just about products, it's about people. Um, this silly little thing can be a person. And so in 2012, I left, I'd written a book called, um, or an article in the Harvard Business Review called Disrupt Yourself, and um, have for the last seven years been really focusing on how do you put these ideas out into the world, this framework of personal disruption? How do you use this framework of disruption to help build high growth individuals that can create and contribute to high growth organizations? So that's what I do today. Lots of disruption throughout my life, which makes it fun since I talk and write about it. It's good that I'm probably living it too. I love your story. I'm going to ask you a few more small moment questions. Uh, first of all, my me as well, music major and then business, and uh, I'm not in music anymore either. Uh, but went to school for bass guitar in California, and uh, and and did not expect the change that I had. Um, I, I love that you've done this. I think it's so cool. And but I want a small moment question for you because I know a lot of our listeners are maybe they're in that moment where they're going, how do I, how do I, you know, how did you just make that jump though? Because you talk about secretary and then you talk about. I mean, what what are some small mindset moments that you had there? I mean, obviously you were, you said, all right, I'll throw the pom poms down. That you're gonna, if that's yeah. what you want to call it, let's do this. So there's a, definitely some fight in you. But give me give me some other small moments where you maybe had a realization that that you had an opportunity to, to cross that massive divide, as you call it. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think the one was, like you said, when I first realized, okay, I can do this. I want more in my career. Um, I think another small moment, which I started to allude to was this idea of, um, well, you know, there are two small moments. One is when I talked about how I moved from banking to equity research and um, that really was a pushback, like from a from a pecking order standpoint, like that's like going from flying a fighter jet to a cargo plane. It's a huge step back. So I think one of the big moments for me are small moments, but and yet big moments is that sometimes when we get pushed back, like sometimes you choose to jump, sometimes you get pushed, and those pushes can oftentimes be the career makers. And in fact, building on that, I actually have this hypothesis because I've also lost a job, I've been fired is I have this hypothesis that whenever we lose a job, um, it's actually, we know that it's time for us to go and we know it, but we won't do it. And so the universe gives us a nudge because it's saying, you won't do it, it's time for you to go. So I'm gonna make, I'm gonna orchestrate things for you to go jump to that new job. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another important insight for me along the way. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. And you put it into words. Uh, a lot of people don't know how to describe that. You're very eloquent at that. Um, I sometimes feel like in my own personal experience that the worry about making the jump is actually more stressful than making the jump itself. Oh, that's so true, right? There's all this anxiety around it uh, about making the jump. And so one of the things, one of the hacks that I now use, because people will be like, okay, it's time for me to jump. I'm at the top of my ladder. I'm at top of my S curve of learning. And people don't want to jump. And they tend to think, well, if I can think about all the exciting things that will happen for me if I make this jump. But that's hard to visualize in the future what might happen. You know that it might be a good thing to do, but you can't see it. And, and so what I do is I basically leverage the loss aversion theory from Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. He wrote um, Thinking Fast and Slow, which basically says um, we're more motivated by what we lose than by what we gain, basically 2.2. And so when you're trying to decide, should I do something new? Yes, think about what the upside might be of doing something new. But the more important motivator typically is what bad thing will happen to me if I don't? So if I try to stay here and do exactly what I'm doing, we know from the neuroscience that our brain is bored. And so that plateau that we're on can become a precipice very quickly. We can actually precipitate our own demise. And so um, that's a really important way when you're on that place where you're like, I know I need to do something new and I'm terrified. Think about what could happen that's good but also think about the bad things that will happen to you if you don't and that tends to be a pretty strong motivator (laughs) excellent advice so i covet your time and your knowledge and i'm so thankful that we have a few minutes with you and i want to make sure that we take time to talk about some of the principles from your book uh because it's building an a team what i like about your content one is you're helping empower individuals but you're also helping leaders uh, like myself, who have a team that we're managing, and, and and that, and we understand. I understand how important my team is. They are everything in our company. And and but sometimes you you quote here at this very minute, one of your high performers may be about to walk out the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to us about some principles from from your book that that are key principles as far as takeaways for managers and executives who want to apply the power of this personal disruption for building a better team. 
Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big uh, ahas I had, I, I, I mentioned, was disruptions not just about products, it's about people. So that was one aha that I had. But the second big aha that I had as we were investing is that this S-curve, and you can picture it in your mind, sort of there's this base of the S. It almost is like a roller coaster, like the base of the roller coaster. Then you have that steep part of the roller coaster and the flat top of the roller coaster. And I had this aha as we were using this S-curve. It was popularized by E.M. Rogers in 1962 that this S-curve could help us understand how people learn and how we grow. We were using it for investing, but for a person, here's what it looks like. Whenever you start a new job, start a new project, you are at the base of that S. And if you think about, you know, a lot of time is passing and it looks like absolutely nothing is happening, like that exponential growth hasn't kicked in. So you start something new, you, the individual, you're overwhelmed. Your boss is looking at you thinking, huh, it seemed like a good hire, but maybe it isn't because they're not progressing as quickly as I want them to do. So what you as a manager need to do for people at the low end of that S who are feeling overwhelmed is to give them support. The support comes in the form of not only encouragement, also telling them what's not working because the best way to invest in a person is to give them feedback, but also to value their inexperience. The fact that they can see things and say, why are we doing it like this? Instead of shutting them down, saying, oh, these questions are gems. This is going to help us be more innovative. That's the low end or the launch point of the curve. Then you've got the sweet spot of that S where now you're growing really quickly. In a little time, a lot is happening. So for you, the individual, the experience that you're having is you're exhilarated because your neurons are firing and this is exciting. Well, as a manager, what you want to do with people on the sweet spot is to focus and focus in two ways. Number one is they can do a lot of different things at this point, so you wanna help them prioritize, have them be strategic in what they're spending their time on, but also focus, and more importantly, on them that you see them. Because they're not a problem child, it's really easy to be like ignoring them, and that's when they become a risk. Because they're like, wait, I'm doing this great work and they don't see me. They're paying attention to everybody at the launch point of the curve, at the high end of the curve because they're where they're gonna leave. So middle, you're exhilarated, your manager, or if you're the manager, I'm talking to you, you wanna help them focus and see them and appreciate them and value them. And now at the top of that S, now we're at the top of that roller coaster, if you will, what's happening? For you, your experience is that your growth is now slowing down again. You've become a master. You're actually very good. People are asking you lots of questions. You're very capable, but the neuroscience is telling us now you're bored. You're not learning. And that becomes a big risk for you. And so what the manager wants to do is this is where they need to be challenged. So you've got to find ways to stretch them, possibly push them back down into the sweet spot, or give them the opportunity to jump to a brand new S-curve of learning. And so the thing that you can keep in your mind is you want to learn, and then you want to leap, and you want to repeat. And recognize that when you Um, when you recognize that everyone in your organization is on that S-curve of learning, including you, and if you will allow people, excuse me, require people to disrupt themselves, you now have people who are high-growth individuals, and your organization, if you want to be a high-growth organization, needs those high-growth individuals. Well said. Uh, this is really great, Whitney. Thank you so much. Uh, you talk about the low, the low end, giving feedback, valuing their own experience. I love that for them to question how things are being done. It it, it might just help with innovation. The sweet spot. Uh, the neurons are firing. They're excited, but prioritize our development. Yeah, they can be ignored sometimes because they're not a problem. And the top things are slowing down. So it looks like there always needs to be 
uh, it's never set it and forget it for your team, no matter what level they're at, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, I love that. I love that you said that. It's not set it and forget it. They, there are different places, and the momentum can be built regardless of where they are on the S curve. They just need different different ways of, of building that momentum. So I do want to ask you about hiring in just a minute, but but uh, if you'll indulge me for a second, my question for you, for those entrepreneurial type companies, which sometimes I can say means they're they're in growth mode or they're disorganized. Uh, and I'm thinking of myself in some ways. Uh, I like to build things, but I don't necessarily, when it comes to the team leading, that becomes a challenge sometimes. What do you suggest for a manager to make sure that they're staying on top of this and or who they're delegating to make sure that they're, what kind of program do you recommend implementing so that you stay on top of this? Well, I think the first step is just to be aware of it. So once you say to yourself, okay, here's the S curve, here's what it looks like, here's what I know, what each part of the S curve, the characteristics of that or the qualities of that for the individual and for the manager, once you're aware of that and you know where you are in your own S curve, you're like, okay, here's what I'm going to need to do in order for me to stay Uh, maximally engaged. Then the second thing is to just look at your team and plot out where they are on the S curve. What does this person need? What does this person need, et cetera? And you'll start to have some ahas of, oh, okay, I've got a person in my sweet spot. What they need me to do is help them focus or, oh, that's why this person has been so cranky of late. They're at the top of the S curve. It doesn't mean they don't like our industry or our company or even me. It's just that they're bored. And so that's a great starting point for you as a manager to be able to calibrate appropriately. The other thing that you can do um, is one thing you just said that kind of caught my attention about this idea of delegation Maybe you weren't going here, but I'm going to say it because you, you brought it up is is for people in the sweet spot. One way that you can stretch them is help them learn how to delegate because they've got a lot that they could do. And they might be coming to you and saying, well, I don't have time to do this other innovative stuff because I'm doing all this grunt work. Well, one of the things you can have them do is, well, are you learning how to delegate? And the key here is, is that we oftentimes delegate the stuff that we should not delegate meaning stuff that we still need to figure out and get a better handle on, but we're trying to ignore it because it makes us feel uncomfortable. And the stuff that we should delegate, which is the easy stuff, it's a little bit, it's, it, it's, it's, um, it feels like grunt work, but it's super easy for us. And that's the stuff you should be delegating. Mm-hmm. And so that's a great way to stretch your people in the sweet spot is to help them understand when and when not to delegate. Yeah. But again, yeah. going back is everyone's on an S curve, plot where you are, plot where your team is, that's going to open a lot up a lot of different conversations for you because then your people will take responsibility for their own learning and then it gives you as the leader a language and framework to operate in in managing and building your team. Mm. I love this concept. Really love it. I, I, I'm excited to implement this and share this with others. We have a few minutes left. Talk to me about, you know, it's great with your existing team, but what do you look for when you're hiring with this concept? Yeah, it's a great question. So ideally what you want to do is you want to hire for potential. You want to hire people on the launch point of the curve, knowing that if you do all the value that gets created as they're learning, it accrues to you as opposed to another organization. You're effectively buying low and selling high. Um, the best way to hire for potential is actually hire from within your organization because people have already been vetted in many ways. You know exactly what their skills are. You also know if they do 
are a person who has a growth mindset or not. It's a lot harder to, harder to hire for potential from outside of your organization because you don't know those things. The challenge, of course, is when they're in your organization, you they're not the shiny penny. So you've got to deal with that conundrum. In terms of hiring for, for potential, um, of course, you've got to test for some basic skills that you need. But some questions that you can potentially ask that can help you figure out, is this a person who, yes, they're here, but I think they can grow into this role. Do they have that growth mindset? Are things like, tell me about the last time you got feedback and what did you do? The reason you wanna ask that question is that when a person gets feedback and what did you do, that means they're capable of iterating quickly. I got this feedback, I tweaked it, and I moved forward. If they say to you, I haven't gotten feedback in a very long time, that may not be that it may not be because they're really good. It may be because people have stopped giving them feedback because they know they won't listen. So it's a really good question to figure out from a potential standpoint. The other question I, I think is a great one um, is to ask if, if in your last role um, they're doing their best. Did they do their best? And I love that because it allows you to see and have them self-reflect and how um, willing, because it's hard to lie when someone asks you, did you do your best? And if you didn't do your best, what do they say? It's also a really important question. And so those are some things that you can do to hire for potential. Ideally, you want to, because you want that value capture. You also want people at the launch point because they ask those questions, why do we do it like this? Um, so that's those are some things that you can do around that. Excellent advice. Asking the last time they receive feedback and how do they respond and asking if they did their best. That, I think those are great questions. Um, I'm sure there's so many more. Uh, with just one minute left, Whitney, is there anything else from your book or from, from your, your concepts that you want to share with us that will, will provide value to our listeners? Um, I think I'll just recap just to put a bow on it. Please. So this yeah. idea of everyone's on an S-curve including you, um, you build a high-performing team. Well, actually and your organization's a collection of those S-curves, and you're gonna build a high-performing team by understanding where people are on their S-curve and then managing to help them build momentum regardless of where they are. I actually believe that everyone's a high performer if they're on the right S-curve. And then finally, if you as an organization want to be innovative, you optimize those curves by having 70% of your people on the steep part, 15% on the launch point, and then 15% at the high end at any given time. And so when you put those things together, you not only have high growth individuals, you have a high performing team that all can aggregate into a high growth organization. So if you're wondering, all right, what are those questions that I can use to hire for potential? If you'll just email me, um, everyone who's listening at wj at whitneyjohnson.com, I'm more than happy to send those questions to you. Whitney, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, again, thanks for being our guest today and for sharing your your background story. It's inspiring. Uh, you, you've accomplished so much. I, I love what you said that every person can be a high performer if they're right on the right curve. That's that's inspiring as well. Uh, I want to encourage our listeners to check out your book, Building an A Team, Play to Their Strengths, and Lead Them Up the Learning Curve. Whitney, thanks again for being our guest, and we look forward to watching the next great things that you're doing. Thank you for having me, Derek. All right, we'll talk soon. Thank you. You've been listening to the Business Leadership Series, where we engage with leaders who are making an impact on their worlds and who want to share their knowledge and experience for your personal and professional growth. This interview was designed to inspire you to become the best leader you can be.